It's a testimony of, of our family, how God has so provided for us and the faithfulness of him through all of life. I, I just want to uh, highlight one uh, want to highlight one uh, announcement with you. I just, something is all over this. It's distracting me. <laughs> Excuse me. Somebody left a lunch there or something like that. Uh, um, just, I just want to highlight uh, an announcement for you. So a number of us are going to leave you for just under two weeks. We're going to Turkey and Greece following uh, some of where the Apostle Paul, the Apostle John w- were ministering. And uh, so we appreciate if you would remember us in prayer. So we won't be here next Sunday, but we'll be here the following Sunday. We've got something very special. Uh, we, we call it Taste of the Nations, but it's, it's a special time of uh, focus on missions. Now, what God wants for us He wants us who have been so touched and blessed by his grace and what he's done for us to be concerned for the rest of the world. Now, the rest of the world is Markham, but it goes beyond that to the farthest reaches. And what his desire is and what we will see someday before the throne of God will be people from every tribe and every language and every people and every nation. And so what we have been charged with is not just to be concerned about ourselves here, but we're charged with uh, concern for the whole world. And so we've got a special mission focus day. Now I want to speak to you parents because we, we really, I can tell you that God touched my life in a profound, profound way as a little child. In fact, here's the crazy thing. If you asked me when I was a kid what I wanted to be when I grew up, I would tell you, are you ready for this? A carpenter missionary. Now, if you know me, I am the, I, I don't know, I don't even know which end of the hammer you're supposed to hit with. So how I came up with carpenter missionary, but missionary was the thing. And as a little kid, I, I just sensed that God, there was something that he may have for me. And so we don't, uh, we don't uh, forget about children. Now, here's the neat thing that we're doing. Um, John Cook, our own John Cook missionary, is going to be doing something in the morning service with our kids um, about missions, interactive. And then we're having this Taste of the Nations, right? The Taste of the Nations, if you haven't been to this before, is an opportunity for you to come and bring something from, if, if you want, from your native uh, culture, if it's different than Canadian. Um, and all of us will be able to bring some food have this huge potluck from all around the world and, uh, and share in a wonderful time of fellowship. And then our, our speaker, who is Rob Magwood, he's the Canadian director for Send International. He, you're going to be blessed by him. He's going to do something in the morning and uh, in the evening. So 5 o'clock, we want you to come and uh, bring some food. If you say, like, you know, we're getting home the night before. I don't know what we're going to bring, but we'll bring something. If you need to go out and buy something ready-made, do that. But just come and we'll put it together and have a great time and, and trust that God will speak to us. So I really wanted to highlight that because I'm not going to be here to pester you next week. So uh, 
I just want you to come out and we'll have a great time and be challenged from the Word of God. Well, uh, one of the great documents that have been penned in history um, were penned, uh, and, and, the, and the name of them is the Declaration of Independence. It's the United States, our neighbor to the south, in 1776. So every July 4th, they celebrate Independence Day. They, they uh, wanted to break free from Great Britain, and, uh, and they did. And those words were penned by Thomas Jefferson. In fact, there was, uh, there was the five uh, that were charged with this, but Jefferson was asked to write uh, something that they would all then get together on and, uh, and uh, would produce this document. You know the start of it. We hold these truths to be self-evident, that all men are created equal and are endowed by their maker with certain unalienable rights, and it goes on from there. This great doc, in fact, this document was picked up by several other co- uh, countries and used um, a- as a-, a template for helping them craft their own document. Now, here's the interesting thing. Uh, Thomas Jefferson uh, was opposed to slavery among the African Americans. In fact, he called slavery an abomination. Uh, he himself, though, uh, in, in light of all of his public statements, had, through his lifetime, 600 slaves. So here's a man who, on one hand, is decrying this, and another hand is participating in it. Um, he, 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 though, though he was a great proponent for education, he did not offer that to slaves. Though he was never accused of mistreating slaves, some of the overseers that he had working for them did. In his lifetime, he freed only two slaves, and after he died, seven more were freed. So the public position that he espoused, what he said, what he, what he proclaimed, what he said he believed, wasn't really backed up by lifestyle, by his practice, by what he did with his life. And um, this is the kind of thing that we would call hypocrisy hypocrisy is this it's when you say one thing when you present your beliefs uh, as is in one direction um, and yet you live a different reality we call that uh, hypocrisy now hypocrisy the the it's a it comes from a greek word and the greek word was uh, for a hypocrite was an actor now you know the uh, the happy face and the sad face that that um uh, you'd see in the theater in, in the Greek era. And people would play, they, the only players were men. So they would play women and men. And to convey who they were and what their disposition was and their temperament, they would wear, uh, they would wear a mask. So you'd have a happy mask or a sad mask. And uh, you would then play act something or someone that you were not. It was like conscious deception. And, and yet this play acting is something that we see all around the world. We see it in politics. People who play act that, that seem to espouse a certain view or a value. And what they're doing is just they want to get you to believe in them enough that you will, uh, you'll vote for them. Go into a job interview and uh, you find out what your 
employer wants to hear. And so you tell him what he wants to hear. And it may be disingenuous. It may not be who you are. It may not be uh, what you represent. But you'll say something to put on a good show. How about uh, with your boyfriends or girlfriends and you go and you know how to behave in front of their parents? Hello, Mr. Smith. Yes, Mrs. Smith. A very good day to you, Mrs. Smith. But then you see this kid out of that range, and, and maybe it's just a, it, just a Jekyll and Hyde, just a, an entirely different person. Uh, with a teacher, compliant, but behind their back, uh, being disrespectful. At work, when the boss is there, just being so industrious at, and, and working hard and putting on a show, and out of his presence, you're lazy and slothful, and, and you're maybe taking stuff from work and, and that kind of thing. How about the woman who's uh, downtown Toronto? She's disheveled. She's in old, dirty clothes. She's sitting there panhandling. And about 6 o'clock, a luxury car comes by. The door opens. She hops in, and off she goes. What's she been doing? She's been pretending that she's a destitute person and, uh, and, and so that you will take pity on her and, and uh, give her money. What about the guy who starts this GoFundMe campaign and shaves his head and says he has cancer? But he doesn't have cancer. And so people are giving and taking pity on this guy. And, and uh, he's just play-acting. Well, you know what? We find that spiritual people, religious people, aren't immune from this kind of behavior. And Jesus was as concerned with integrity and the genuineness of our faith uh, as he was in what we do. He wanted it to match up with who we said we were uh, and uh, not be phonies, not be play acting. And so... uh, Jesus uh, wants us to understand something about the danger of religious hypocrisy, where we pretend to be something that we're not. Um, and uh, he's more interested on what's on the inside than what we're playing on the outside. He wants to see that there is congruency between what we say we believe and who we say we are and how we live our life. Well, in uh, Matthew chapter 6 and verse 1, Jesus says this, Be careful not to practice your righteousness in front of others to be seen by them. If you do, you'll have no reward from your Father in heaven. Jesus said, when you do your religious activities, your religious deeds, the things that you do that express your faith, he said, be careful that you don't do them just to impress others. Don't, you don't do them just to put on a show externally that's inconsistent with what's on the inside. Don't do it in front of others just to be seen of them. If you do, you'll have no reward. It's interesting to me that, um, that what, what Jesus says here is he says, um, there's a reward for doing that. If you want to be rewarded, you can get a reward. But the reward is going to be um, nothing shy of what other people say. So if you want them to think uh, good of you, uh, then you put on a show and you'll be rewarded. People say, oh man, that Kevin Rutledge, he is so spiritual. Look at him. Look at what he does. And, and, And it can be 
It can be nothing but a sham behind that all. God, he says, you can get rewarded by people, but you will not get a reward from God. And uh, he's interested in the motivation, what makes us do the kind of things that we do. Do we do that so that God might be honored and praised? uh, Or do we do it so that we might get honor and praise for ourselves? Uh, What you don't get is God God will let you get that reward of people. You know, you can, if that's what you want from other people, you can get that. But he says, you won't get it from him. You forfeit God's condemnation, uh, commendation. Well, there are three religious practices uh, that Jesus uses a test case to help us understand. The first of these is giving. That is helping the needy. Uh, you can do that in one of two ways. You can do it very publicly, or you can do it uh, privately. So he says this, so when you give to the needy, don't announce it with trumpets, as the hypocrites do, in the synagogues and on the streets, to be honored by others. The motivation here is, I want people to see how spiritual I am, so I'm going to do my stuff, I'm going to do my thing, and uh, you, people can really appreciate how spiritual and how wonderful I am. And so it's like, uh, it's like I want a trumpet fanfare before I give. I don't know if you've been to the uh, Stratford Festival Theater, but what happens about five minutes before the performance is to start is these uh, guys come out in like, I, I don't know, something like beef eater costumes or something like that. And they have these trumpets that are about this long. And uh, so as, you're, as people are filing into the auditorium, you'll hear this, do, 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 and, and, and this brassy, loud sound. And, and Jesus said, look it, when you give, don't have somebody blow a trumpet for you. When you give, don't have, and now I'm about to give, drum roll, and and then and and then I in, in an ostentatious manner I present my offering. Uh, don't do that kind of thing. That's what hypocrites do. They want everybody to know how spiritual are and what they're doing. They want honor. Uh, there was a couple who tried this out in the early church. There was a guy by the name of Barnabas. Uh, Barnabas also called the son of encouragement. Uh, and, and he saw that there was a need from people. And so what he did was uh, he went and sold a piece of property, brought the money, laid it at the apostles' feet, and they distributed it to take care of the needs of the people. Well, Ananias and Sapphira saw this and thought, man, this is kind of cool. We have, we have some property. We'll sell the property, and, uh, and we'll give that. And, but let's do this. Let's say, let's keep some of it for ourselves, but we're saying we're giving all of it. And so they come and they said, uh, Peter, here's, uh, we've sold our property. And, uh, well, we have, uh, can I have your attention, please? We have decided that we're going to give the money from the sale of our property to you to help people. Uh, thank you. Thank you very much. And, and, uh, and so, uh, the Holy Spirit told Peter, he's lying. Um, he said, uh, was that the amount that you got? Oh yeah, that's what we got. In, in fact, the Holy Spirit killed him, put him to death. 
um, because God hates that kind of duplicity and lying. And uh, so a while, a while later, Sapphira, his wife, comes in. Is, uh, is this the amount of money you got for the, for the property? Oh, yes, that's what we got for the property. And he says, how do, how do you dare lie to the Holy Spirit? The, the, those who carried your husband out will carry you out. She fell dead. Uh, you know, God, God hates hypocrisy. He, he hates that. You know, if I want, if I want to impress, maybe I say, oh, oh this, I'm giving a lot of money. So I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to take my offering envelope. I'll turn it up so people can see what I give. And, and he says, that's not what God is all about. That's not how God operates. He said, they'll get the reward in full. But when he, he says, when you give to the needy, do not let your left hand know what your right hand is doing, that you're giving maybe in secret. Then your father who sees what is done in secret will reward you. Do this in secret. Don't, don't let your left hand know what your right hand is doing. It's, it's like saying... Do it in secret. If, if you want the reward, you can get the reward. Um, I, we know somebody who's uh, very wealthy, and um, this person funded uh, a whole unit, uh, a trauma unit, uh, ICU, in, in a hospital. Now, I'm not, I'm not questioning motives, because I, I don't know motives, but here plastered on the outside of the ICU unit is this family name and this was donated in their honor and uh, and you know that's cool I, I'm not saying that that I can't read somebody's motives so I can't judge their heart but it says you know what you, you should be willing at times just to do something and and not have to have to trumpet that about yourself let God reward you well the the next area that he uses he talks about prayer, the importance of prayer. Now, prayer is very basic to our faith. Uh, people in Jesus' day were well acquainted with uh, prayer, far more than we understand in many ways, uh, Jewish rituals of prayer. Um, and notice in each case, he says, when, when you give, I'm assuming you're going to give. When you pray, I'm assuming you're going to pray. Let me talk to me how we do it. It's part of everyday life. There were regular prayers. There was like the Shema uh, uh, hear, O Israel, the Lord your God, the Lord is one. Love the Lord your God, you know, all that, that prayer, morning and evening. There was, a, uh, uh, there was a thing called the Shemana Ezra, which were 18 prayers that were done over the three times of prayer a day, for, and then prayers for special acu- uh, occasions, prayer for public notices. Uh, and, and so people would pray. That would be a part of what they did. But he says, I, I don't, uh, when, when you pray, prayer ought to be first private. Does, this doesn't preclude prayer that we would have like here today. But he says this, when you pray, do not be like the hypocrites, for they love to pray standing in the synagogues and on the street corners and seen by others. Truly, I tell you, they have their reward in full. Uh, they they want to be seen in prayer. So when they're in the synagogue, they're up at the front. Oh, Lord God Almighty. You know, anybody seeing this? Anybody taking note? Love me? Think I'm special? Or uh, oh, 
just happens to be prayer time, and here I am in the market, and it's jammed. Oh, Lord, I here stand in your presence. Don't do that, he says. Don't be that way. Um, you, You want a reward, you'll have your reward. He said, but when you pray, go into your room, close the door, and pray to your Father who is unseen. Then your Father who sees what is done in secret will reward you. He will, he will reward you. You remember the, when the Pharisee and the publican went to pray, the tax collector, and the Pharisee went up to the front and, and he said, Oh, Lord, I thank you that I'm not like other people, like this guy, this piece of you-know-what. He's, he's garbage. He's, he's a tax collector. He's a cheat. I thank you that I'm righteous. And the other guy couldn't, he, he couldn't stand there. He, he, had, he had to get away and he said, <laughs> He couldn't look up. He said, oh, Lord, have mercy on me, a sinner. And Jesus said, who went away heard? Who went away justified? It was the one who came humbly before God. You want to put on a show, um, and, and, or you want to maybe sound so eloquent. Let me say this. Uh, there are people who can pray beautifully and eloquently, and I'm not saying that if you pray that way, you're, you're a hypocrite. Not at all. Some people just have that ability. The point is, who am I praying for? Am I praying for me? Or am I praying to God to be heard by God? And so be careful, he says, when you pray, that you're just not trying to impress people uh, with your language or, or with your spirituality or that kind of thing. Um, because God rewards those who do it with a right motive and a right heart. It's interesting, he doesn't tell us what the reward is. And I think there's some reward now in this time. I think there's some reward in, in God hearing and, and uh, responding to us. But I think there's also a reward that's yet ahead. Don't lay out, in the Sermon on the Mount, we're going to get in, in uh, the next section, we're going to get to, don't lay up for yourself treasures on earth where moth and rust corrupt and thieves break through and steal. Now lay up for yourself treasures in heaven. And I think we, sometimes we have such a, a myopic view. We, we, we just see this far ahead. We don't see all of eternity and the reward and blessing that God can pour out on us. Um, so he says, um, stop doing that kind of prayer and pray for me, not to pray to be heard, not to be seen by others. And then he goes on and he says something. He says, stop babbling. What do you mean, babbling? He says, when you pray, do not keep on babbling like pagans, for they think they'll be heard because there are many words. Do not be like them, for your Father knows what you need before you ask of him. Uh, He says, the the pagans, they they pray uh, just sometimes mindless repetition, incantations. They just go over and over and over again. And, and uh, it, it's mindless. It can be absolutely mindless. Jesus said, y- you don't have to try and beat me down in prayer. You have to try and outlast me or something like that to show how spiritual you are. When I thought of this, I thought of uh, a situation that was uh, in, in, uh, one of dire need for the Israelites in the time of King Ahab and his wicked wife Jezebel, who, who brought pagan uh, religion to the northern kingdom of Israel. 
And so there was going to be a standoff on Mount Carmel. And there were 450 prophets of Baal. And there was Elijah seemingly standing or feeling like he was all alone in this battle. And they said, we'll settle this. The God who answers by fire. And so uh, Elijah said, well, you guys go first. Well, they prayed, oh, Baal, oh, Baal, hear us, oh, Baal, come down. And they, they went all morning and nothing was happening. So Elijah started taunting them. Ah, well, where's your God? What's, what's he doing? What's happening? Uh, oh, he may be sleeping. Maybe you should go louder. Oh, Baal, Baal, and, they, and nothing happens. And they start cutting themselves and slicing themselves and they're bleeding and pleading and crying out uh, to, to, uh, uh, to Baal. And uh, nothing happens. And then Elijah is to step forward. And he wasn't doing a, a three-hour prayer time. Here's his prayer. O Lord God of Abraham, Isaac, and Israel, let it be known today that you are God in Israel and that I am your servant and I have done all these things at your command. Answer me so the people will know that you, O Lord, are God and that you are a tr- uh, trust, uh, turning their hearts back again. And fire from heaven came down on this saturated uh, sacrifice and licked up every drop of water and consumed everything he he didn't have to beg and plead and cajole god to to act he says you you don't have to you don't have to do that you can be direct and succinct and and he said here's why your father knows what you need before you ask now he wants you to ask and I'm not saying there's not time when we persevere in prayer, but don't think that babbling on and on and on is going to break God down to the point where like uh, a, a pesky kid, finally you give them what they want just because you can't stand hearing them complaining all the time. Well, what, what Jesus does is he gives us a model prayer at this time. It's the Lord's Prayer, better the disciples' prayer, because Jesus can't fully pray all of this prayer because it didn't apply to him. But he said, here's a, a model for you, a model prayer of uh, what, um, what I, I have uh, for you. Here, here's a, an example of how you can pray. And so uh, we're just going to skip through it and, and touch it very quickly. Uh, but in this model prayer, uh, Jesus said that this, then this is how you should pray our Father in heaven. This prayer is based on relationship. It's based on having a relationship with God because none of us has the right to enter God's presence. We, we don't have access to God. We're sinful. We're, we we are, uh, uh, have violated his law and the relationship we have with him has been broken. And uh, we say, well, Father, isn't, isn't God everyone's Father? Isn't there a sense of the universal fatherhood of, of God over all the universe? Um, well, that's not what the Bible teaches. The Bible teaches that, that not, not everyone can call God Father. In fact, Jesus would say in John 8 and 42, if you were of your Father, you would love me, but they hated Jesus. He would go on and he'd say this in John eight forty four: you belong to your father, the devil. Ouch. 
No wonder Jesus got in trouble with the religious leaders. He called it as it was. He said, you know what? God is not your father. Because if God were your father, you'd love me. If God were your father, you'd obey him. Uh, You would submit to me. No, access to God is exclusively through Jesus. I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. Romans 5, 1 and 2, he goes on to say um, that the access we have to God is on the basis of what Jesus has done for us. Let me ask you a question. Do you have the right to pray to God? Do you have access to him? Because the access is only through Jesus Christ. We, we, we stand in the righteousness of Christ before God and have access before his throne. And so he says, uh, this is how you should pray. Pray our father. Notice he didn't say my father. You notice how it's a corporate thing? Our father in heaven. And then he goes on and he has three concerns with respect to God and three concerns with respect to us. And so his, his prayer requests are, are these. Um, Hallowed be your name. We're praying, Father, that, that your name, the name of God is, is the person, it's representative of the person of God, of who God is. And, and so when you pray, you pray um, that my prayer is that the God would be honored. God would be treated with respect. God would be reverenced and worshipped and loved and adored. Is that your prayer? Is that how you start your prayer? Our Father in heaven, holy is your name. To be reverenced, to be set apart, sanctified is your name. Your wonderful name, your person. We pray that, that, that people would acknowledge that and understand it. And then he goes on and he says this, your kingdom come. We've been talking about what it is to be a kingdom citizen. Your kingdom come. We desire that the rule of God would be pervasive across the whole uh, globe. That everyone would submit to the rule of God and his Christ, Jesus. And, uh, and he goes on and he says, we, we pray that your will would be done on earth as it is in heaven. In heaven, everything happens uh, completely the way God desires and wants. And um, so let me ask, is that your prayer? Is that your prayer? God, I, I pray that your kingdom would come. I, I pray that it would be realized in my life, that I would reverence God. I pray that it would be realized in society. I pray that it would ultimately be realized when he puts down all rebellion against him. I don't know about you, but watching the news has been so depressing lately. Um, in Hamilton, a 14-year-old boy who's been bothered by people at school, who's been harassed and bullied, and, and his mom gets kind of an SOS note, and in front of the school, a 14-year-old child is knifed to death, and his mother couldn't stop it. A 14-year-old being by another child, killed, murdered by another child. Does that not distress you? This is so far from what God wanted for, for us. May your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. And we're not seeing that. In Scarborough, a 16-year-old being pursued by two guys in a vehicle. And they ran him down to kill him. 
and he died. A 16-year-old child. The families on, on TV are absolutely, understandably, totally devastated. They're brokenhearted, and, and it should be the cry from God's people. Oh, your, your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Is that how you pray? Because we start with God. So much of our prayers, all right, Lord, I, I got some issues I need. Okay, I need this. Give me this. Give me, give me, give me, give me, give me. And uh, thank you. Amen. And here he starts with God. The place, the place where prayer starts is with God. And then he has re- three requests for himself as well. He says, give us today our daily bread. That is, all the needs that we have to sustain our life physically, all of what we need, we acknowledge our total dependence upon you. Give us today, this day. If you were back in Jesus' day and you were a day laborer, you understood you did work and you got paid and you bought what you needed to survive. He said, trust God for what you need with that. And then he goes on and he says, there are spiritual needs too. If we forgive us our debts as we also have forgiven our debtors. Our sins, we've, we've sinned against you, O oh God. And, and how, how do we deal with that? We need forgiveness. And so as we have been forgiven by your grace, so we ask you to forgive us. And then knowing our propensity to sin and our weakness, he says, and lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. Lord, we know how susceptible we are. We know how weak we are and fragile and frail and, and how, how, we're, how we're susceptible to sinning. And so we call out on you and we seek you to help us to have victory, to stay away from temptation, to have victory over temptation and, and, uh, and deliver us from the evil one, from Satan. And then he kind of doubles back um, and he wants to pick up this theme of forgiveness again. And so in verses 14 and 15, he says, For if you forgive people when they sin against you, your heavenly Father will also forgive you. But if you do not forgive against others their sins, your Father will not forgive your sin. Is this, does this bother anybody? Because I feel justified that I don't have to forgive a person who's hurt me. And I'm going to hang on to that and, 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 and cling there. And God says, uh-uh. Because you don't realize what a terrible, terrible sinner you are. And, and so my requisite for your forgiveness is that you're extending forgiveness to others. See, relationship is so critical to God and how we live our lives. And so if you will forgive I'll forgive you. But if you're withholding forgiveness, don't expect me to forgive you. Your forgiveness as a person who has been shown so much grace requires that. A a court case just finished up a week ago where a 31-year-old woman who was a police officer in Texas uh, by the name of Amber Geiger, shot what she said was mistakenly in self-defense, but was 
charged with murder. Uh, she killed an unarmed guy, 26-year-old guy, who was watching TV in his place, burst in, claimed that it was, she thought it was her house and somebody was in there. And she, saw, uh, she uh, shot him to death. And um, there was a time for victim impact statements. And uh, the man who was killed, was the na- his name was Botham Jean. And uh, his brother, his only brother, uh, wanted to make a statement. And here's what, that, uh, here's, what that, here's what he wanted to say in that courtroom. I'm not going to say I hope you rot and die just like my brother did, but I, see, I, I personally want the best for you. And I, I wasn't going to ever say this in front of my family or anyone, but I don't even want you to go to jail. I want the best for you. Because I know that's what, that's exactly what both of them would want you to do. And the best would be give your life to Christ. I don't know if this is possible, but can, can I give her a hug, please? Please? Yes. I forgive you. Mm. You don't do that outside of the power of God through the Holy Spirit. There's the, there's the woman who killed his brother and he extends forgiveness. So I don't, I don't even want you to have to go to jail. Or most of us would be saying, we want justice. We want justice. Give us more. She didn't get a long enough sentence. He got it. He understood. I show grace to you and mercy to you because you, you actually have done worse than that to me. And yet, that's God's grace. What a devastating effect. Let me ask you a question. Is there somebody that has hurt you And you can't bring yourself to extend forgiveness to them. Notice that you you have put yourself in a big hole, a deficit, where God says, wait a minute, wait, wait, wait. I I have cared for you. I've forgiven you. Now on the basis of my grace to you, extend that to others. Blessed are the merciful, for they shall receive mercy. And so um, what he wants us to do is he wants us to be, have integrity in our spiritual walk. Well, the last one is this. It's fasting. Now, fasting is a spiritual dif- discipline, and it's setting off, uh, setting aside the eating of food uh, for a time to pursue God, to remind us ourselves that there are things more important than our physical needs in life and to seek God and sometimes to humble ourselves before God to express penit- uh, penance, penitence 
and uh, to seek him for grace. And it's often accompanied with prayer, prayer and fasting. And religious Jews understood uh, that, though in the law it only called for fasting one day of the year, which was the Day of Atonement, which was just this past week, where all observant Jews would uh, fast for that day. But the religious people in Jesus' day fasted twice a week, on Mondays and Thursdays. And uh, he, says, he says this about fasting. When you fast, don't look, at, uh, don't look somber as the hypocrites do, for they disfigure their faces to try and show others they're fasting. True, I, uh, truly, I tell you, they've received their reward. They want to make sure you understand that they're fasting. So they, you know, they look disheveled. You know. You okay? I'm all right. I'm, I'm fasting. Uh, you don't smell very good. I, I, I didn't shower, and your hair is kind of, yeah. Is that better? You know, when we want, to, when we want people to know, now I've got to be able to tuck this in. <laughs> Gerda. <laughs> she usually gets me ready. <laughs> Kidding. Um, he says... He says this, when you fast, put oil on your head and wash your face so it'll not be obvious to others that you're fasting, but only to your father in heaven who is unseen and your father who sees what is done in secret will reward you openly. Have a bath, put on some deodorant, do your hair, make yourself presentable. Stop going around with a sad face, trying to gain pity that everybody will think you are so spiritual. Yep, I do it twice a week, every week, you know. Okay, you got your reward. I don't know, I want something, you know, the, the, the carnal part of me wants that, right? Don't we want that? But God says, I can give you something so much better if you'll just come to me. Don't be a hypocrite. You know, there, there, there are Christians who can win Academy Awards for acting, and, and God, God wants us to have integrity in our life. Don't make it obvious. Make it, don't, don't, don't play to the crowd. The, our Father who sees will, will reward you for that. You see, Jesus wants us to properly portray him. And he's more concerned with the stuff that is, I said last week, below the waterline, the stuff that nobody else sees, but your motivation and your intention and why you do what you do. And if you're doing it just so that people think you're such a great guy, such a spiritual gal, you've got your reward. I don't know. I think there's something that's so much better. Uh, People who, uh, who would see us also. Jesus said, you know what? You guys... You're salt. You're salt that brings savor and, 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 and to life. And, and you're salt that purifies and, and protects from, from corruption. And you're light. You're the light of the world who, who show what, what Jesus is really like. 
and, and let them see your good deeds without hypocrisy, without play acting. And I'll tell you what, some of our younger generation, they can smell a phony a mile away, a kilometer away, okay? Um, Jesus wants us to live by a higher standard than the world does. He wants us to live with with integrity and and a genuineness about our faith. And then he wants to put us out there and have the world see uh, this is what this is what my people are like, and and they have integrity, and and so I, I would say to you, are there when, when we go through this, are there some things in your life and going, that's kind of me, because this this can be kind of me too, and, and saying God show us those areas where we're we're not lining up, where what we declare and what we are, there's some. There's a gap there. And, and uh, that God would point those things out and help us. And uh, also, uh, you may not be a follower of Christ yet. My, my prayer is for you that you would see integrity in God's people. That we would, we would show you the very best of what he is. And you, and you would say, you know, that's something that I want, something genuine, something real, something from God, something that's not been perverted or twisted. And my prayer is that you might open your heart to Jesus Christ and allow him to come in and, and cleanse you from, uh, from the inside and, and invite you into his family and, and to make you the person that he wants you to be. And if you have questions about that, we would love to talk with you and encourage you and help you on that journey to following Christ uh, because we're called to be passionate followers of Jesus. Let's pray. Our Father, we thank you so much for who you are and what you mean to us. Lord Jesus, this incredible sermon that you preached uh, really nails some of us right between the eyes Uh, And we say, yeah, that's me. Father, I pray that you'd help us to live a consistent uh, life of integrity where we're not playing a game, we're not pretending to be something that we're not, but that you help us to bring our life and our practice into uh, into line with uh, what we claim we believe. And we ask this in the name of Jesus. Amen.